This is David Chuddick here, and today's episode will feature Cozy Whitman, and we'll be talking about the FAFSA and all different aspects of college financial aid. So I hope that you enjoy this episode because how we pay for college and where we choose to go for college, and even some of our major choices can have decades-long impact on our financial lives. Um, and speaking of our financial lives, if there's anything that's keeping you up at night regarding the stock markets, regarding your investments, or anything else in your financial picture, email me, David, at ParallelFinancial.com. That's David at ParallelFinancial.com. Let's sit down either in person or sit down virtually via Zoom, and let's talk about if there are any next steps for you to take. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chuddick where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. As you know, my name is David Chuddick, and I am a certified financial planner with Parallel Financial. And what that means is I help for my clients to make the right financial decisions for them for the reasons that are important to them. So if you've been watching the markets lately, you've been seeing some ups and some downs. And and if that keeps you up at night, give me an email, david at parallelfinancial.com. That's david at parallelfinancial.com. Let's talk for a few minutes and let's see if there are some changes or some ways that you can allocate your money that would make sense to you. Uh, Today, I'm very excited to have a repeat guest on the podcast. Uh, Cozy Whitman of College Inside Track is going to talk about a subject that my family is personally dealing with at this moment because we have a um, uh, a college uh, freshman at the University of South Carolina and we have two high school freshmen uh, that are twins. So uh, we're, we're, we're going to be dealing with uh, college and college expenses uh, for the foreseeable future, which does involve money and some financial decisions. So, hey, Cozy, how are you? I'm good, David. Thanks for the invite back. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. And I know that college and paying for college and how to fund college and all of those things are just so important both to parents and students literally for the rest of their life and their financial future. So I appreciate uh, that you're you're coming on the show and, and talking a little bit about this today. So, so, hey, tell us a little bit about College Inside Track, how long you've been with the company, what the company does. Sure. So College Inside Track helps families navigate college search, just like you might hire a real estate agent to help you find a house. Um, People hire us to help their students find schools that fit into three key categories, if you will. Does the school fit the student academically? Does the school fit the student from a social perspective or speak to the person the student is? And then finally, of course, does the school fit a family's financial goals for college? I've been with the team for five years. My job is to interact with both financial advisors and families to really help educate them on what the college landscape actually looks like today and how they can do a more strategic, more goal-oriented college search. Perfect. Now, I'm just curious, do you ever, you know, when, when working with the family, do you ever kind of come to the conclusion that, hey, you know what, maybe maybe trade school, maybe college is not for you, maybe, because uh, I think that there's, 
and you may or may not agree, but there's kind of this, this, this thought in society that if you don't get a four-year degree, you're almost failing or, you know, and, and what's your feeling on, 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 does everybody need a four-year degree or there's some alternate paths? Oh, for sure. Uh, thank you for asking this question because uh, I'm pretty passionate. So um, when we chatted before, I think I mentioned I have five kids of my own. And for one of my students, the four-year path was not his fit. It just wasn't. Um, and so I'm actually really, really um, excited that there is some understanding now uh, in the job market that, hey, by the way, we need people to fix our cars. We sure. need people who build bridges. We need people who can actually make, make the world work, if you will. Um, and so uh, I think it, it, it's really good for students to think about all the paths available to them. I would say personally, when we work with families, um, they do tend to be already aligned down the four-year path or a conversation with me doesn't usually take place. But I'm always happy to help people think through uh, what path might be best for their students and give them ways to start to think about that, even ways to investigate what path might be important to that student. Yeah, you know, it's tough that we have to make decisions at 17 and 18 and 19 that that affect the rest of our lives in, in a lot of different ways. And I don't know about you. I'm I'm a little bit older than that right now, and I still sometimes I don't know what the heck I want to do with the rest of my life. So, so it's, right. it's definitely well, tough. For sure, and I would love for um for us as a society, but parents in particular of high schoolers, to get out of this mindset of you know too often we approach kids with this question like, hey, what do you want to do? And yep. it's implied for the rest of your life, right? Um, and the reality of people's career paths today actually doesn't look like that. It's the rare person that stays on the same path for the entirety of their career. And so it takes so much pressure off the student if they'll just start to think about it from the perspective of how do you want to launch your mm -hmm. career, right? What do you like want to do for the first three to five years? After that, people see your skill sets, they see your strengths, you find out new things you're good at, mm -hmm. and that sometimes pulls you in different directions, and that's okay too. Yep. No, no question. No question. So today's the topic of or, or the title of today's episode is FAFSA 101. We wanted to kind of draw on the um, on the, the college course title and, and just give a lot of just the what you need to know about FAFSA. So let's start off with um, with with the first question, F-A-F-S-A. -F what the heck does that stand for? And, and let's start. You know, what is it? Yeah, yeah, so let's do uh, the basics here. So the letters FAFSA actually stand for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. So uh, originally, this was the kinds of aid that families could get that comes from the federal government. This was the application to uh, let the federal government know, like, here's where we stand as an income um, in our household. And uh, that would qualify you or not qualify you for um, aid from the federal government to send your student off to school. But it, of course, has evolved since then. And so there's a fair amount of myth and misperception around how the FAFSA gets used. All right. So let's talk maybe a little bit about um, timelines, like what are, what are the timelines when the FAFSA, FAFSA should be completed uh, and is it different for different years? So kind of as for the incoming freshmen and for the different years, are, are the timelines different? Yeah, uh, so um, in general, we recommend that people fill the FAFSA out for the first time in the fall of the student's senior year of college. And when you fill it out in the fall, you're actually filling out the following year's FAFSA. So this coming fall, 
um, people who have seniors who are um, 2023 20, grads, for instance, um, those kids, when you fill out the, the FAFSA in the fall, you're filling it out for, in the fall of 2022, you're filling it out a FAFSA that would be titled the 2023 FAFSA, right? So um, the first time you fill it out, it's filled out in the fall of the student's senior year. Once your student gets into school, you actually have until uh, July to fill that FAFSA out for the college that your student is currently attending. Um, however, here's what I'll say. I'm a big proponent of fill it out in October, put that on your calendar, do it as a um, yearly event every year, and then you know it's done and you don't have to think about it again. So if you're like me, you know, you kind of procrastinate on stuff that you just don't do all the time and you kind of put off this, you know, this FAFSA is going to be really, really difficult. And what if I answer the questions wrong? And so tell me a little bit about like what's on the FAFSA, what, what are the questions that are asked, uh, what type of documents would I need as I'm filling it out? Does it take three days of, of eight hours a day to figure it out? You know, tell me just a little bit about kind of the, the experience of, of filling out the FAFSA, FAFSA form. Sure. Uh, it for sure has a reputation, right, as <laughs> being a, a terrible form, a hard form. Um, and so people actually go out of their way to try and avoid it, right, mm -hmm. um, presumptions about their ability to get need-based aid. And so um, the thing that I want people to know about the form, yes, it's poorly written. Uh, no question. Um, the questions are not asked in a way that makes sense to most people. Um, it does require a little bit of homework on your part, but candidly, once you've filled it out, the stage is set, right? Mm -hmm. Because most people's financials do not change um, in a broad way year to year to year. So um, that first FAFSA that you're going to fill out, what you need is the adjusted gross income from the previous year. So if you have a 2023 grad, they are using the income year 2021. Um, the, um, now, the good news is there is actually a, a, a data tool built into the FAFSA. So you don't have to go digging around for your tax return. You can use the data retrieval tool that's built straight into the FAFSA. Um, there are plus sides to that. The people who use the tool don't tend to be audited as often um, have their FAFSA audited, that is. And so um, it's a good use of that tool. Mm -hmm. uh, other things that you'll need to uh, pull together. So the FAFSA evaluates parent income and assets, and it evaluates student income and assets. So on the parent side of the house, well, for the entire form, really, um, you need any um, uh, income that you had. And again, just use the data retrieval tool. And then on the asset side of the house, they are looking for non-retirement based assets uh, for families who also do not have to put the equity you have in your home on the FAFSA. So retirement accounts do not go on the asset area of the FAFSA, neither does your home. Any other account, including 529 plans, do have to be reported on the FAFSA that 529 is a parent asset. So let me let me just jump in there. Uh, if you have a teenager, all things being equal, if your teenager has earned income, meaning they work at Chick-fil-A, they work at McDonald's, uh, they work at your office, um, if you pay them, then they can start a Roth IRA. Now, you just told us that the Roth IRA is a, you know, it's a retirement asset that's not going on to um, onto the FAFSA. So that's, you know, that's a little bit invisible 
to uh, to the financial aid process, and Roth IRA contributions can uh, can be withdrawn without without any penalty. So so little tip there. I mean, I know that's 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 overly broad, but um, Roth IRAs for for most people, but especially teenagers, um, is a great 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 tool. So uh, so so write that one down if you, if you're looking for a way to to kind of hide a little bit of money from the from the eligibility uh, eligibility process uh, there. So. So do you have to fill out a FAFSA? Let's say you, you have three or four or five different schools that you would like to go to. I mean, is there a different FAFSA for each school or are you filling out kind of one deal and then uh, it's, it's getting shot off to each school? Yeah, so the FAFSA, um, you fill out one time, each school is gonna get a copy of that FAFSA. So there's an area of the FAFSA where you put in the school code um, and then the uh, FAFSA gets sent off to those schools. And this might be a good, time to break down one of the big myths around the FAFSA. So um, the FAFSA is used at two different levels to determine need. The federal government makes their own determination of need and they send out something called the student aid report. So when families get that student aid report, they open it up and uh, let's say they don't qualify for need-based aid at the federal level. It'll say that in there, like, hey, you don't qualify for any need-based aid. Here's access to the federal student loan, which is the other way that the FAFSA gets used. Um, that does not mean that you can't qualify for need-based aid from the colleges your student applies to, because the colleges make their own separate determination about whether or not you qualify for need-based aid at their school. And they leverage the FAFSA to get that done, but some schools also use like NC, um, uh, UNC Chapel Hill uses a secondary form called the CSS profile. Um, the CSS profile is kind of a no holds barred kind of form. Um, people generally find that um, you come out uh, a lot less needy after you fill out that form. But, um, but it's important to know that the colleges leverage that FAFSA separate and apart from the determination of the federal government for need-based aid. Okay, okay. Now, the questions on the FAFSA, like are there ways that you could answer it right or wrong? I mean, other than just, there's no gray area, right? I mean, they're asking what's your income and then your income's your income. There's, there's no ways that you can kind of massage the numbers or anything or, or, or are there? Yeah, um, generally speaking, no. Uh, for the vast majority of families, it's gonna be a pretty straightforward form. And one of the things that I just remind people of is you can almost never wiggle your way into need-based aid, right? M moving assets around, unless you plan to quit your job for the purposes of college and become a pauper so that you can qualify for need-based aid. Um, there really isn't a way to make yourself need-based if you are not, because your income as a parent is the single largest factor on the FAFSA. It is assessed at 47%. Your assets by comparison are actually only assessed at 5.64%. So um, it's significant, the distinguisher there. And so consequently, um, most of the questions are pretty straightforward. Now, when people get into more complex financial scenarios, they own stock, they're, um, you know, part of a trust. There, there are all kinds of things that can make it a little less straightforward. But here's an interesting thing. Um, the FAFSA has a pretty good Q&A area, right? So next to every question, there's a little tiny question mark in a circle. It's intended to be a help tool. People just don't leverage that. And so if they would just leverage that, it'll explain pretty straightforwardly um, how, what they want in that blank spot. 
Okay. And is there an advantage to getting the FAFSA completed earlier? You know, the word, other words, does the government run out of money? And if you get it in earlier, you're more likely to get uh, aid or, or is it not necessarily the case that getting in early would, would maybe get you some more funds? Yeah, so less so from the federal government. Um, there is huge benefit to getting it done early um, where the colleges are concerned. So um, the colleges, when they leverage the FAFSA, right, for need-based aid, um, are, are making those decisions as they get those FAFSA forms. So uh, for families that fill those out in October and November, um, they are um, able to better assess what they have available. They take a look at the student, how much do they want the student, and make need determination based on that. Um, the other thing the FAFSA often does at many schools around the country, though, is it allows the colleges to kind of leverage it to understand better who you are as a potential gift giver at the college, right? Uh -huh. So uh, there is an opportunity at a lot of colleges if you fill out your FAFSA, they actually increase your merit scholarships. So the scholarships they're giving your student for all things amazing and wonderful about your student, they actually increase those at a lot of schools just because you filled out the form. So in general, we do recommend one, all families fill out their FAFSA and two, do it early in the process so you can maximize any opportunities that sit there. And I can testify doing the FAFSA for the second time is easier than the first, because I think a lot of that information is already pre-populated. And it honestly really didn't take that uh, take that long the uh, the second time, uh, That's right. second second time around. So so talk to me a little bit about need based aid. And is that like what all we should be looking at? And if not, where else should we be looking for for some some aid? Because, you know, college, I mean, it's, it's not cheap. And, and regardless of, of what your salary is as a parent, it's still going to be a pretty good chunk of money if, if, yeah. if you're making that choice to, to pay for all or, or most of your, your child's educational expenses. Yeah, one of the things that makes college just so challenging in the U.S. is um, there are just under 3,000 schools in the U.S., which means there are also just under 3,000 gifting programs in the US. The colleges all have their own philosophy on gifting. And so, um, you know, need-based aid is need-based aid. It's a formula. And if your family is not going to be need-based, they're not. There's not a lot you can do to change those numbers. But at the end of the day, part of what we do when we work with families is help the family understand based on who your student is, who might be better merit givers, right, who are going to bring scholarship dollars to the table. The colleges are the number one source of scholarships in the United States. Families have a tendency to think like, oh, I'm going to send my kid out to the internet and look for scholarship dollars. And that is by and large a waste of your time. The average student has to apply to between 50 and 80 of those to win anything. And think about the hours spent writing essays and filling in applications. The average award amount there, 500 bucks. Wow. So um, I would instead spend your time and energy understanding how well does my student actually fit at this school? Does the school fit my student, right? Academic, social, and can their gifting program get the family to the place where they feel comfortable paying for this college education? Um, it requires pushing on the schools and some schools won't share. It makes it daunting for families, no question. But you have to get in and do more research, which is why, by the way, today, 
college search is not really a just leave it in the hands of your student moment, right? This is a partnership between parents and their student together, and sometimes a third party resource like College Inside Track. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is it, do colleges publish, you know, the amount of, of aid that they give? And, and maybe, you know, could you get an idea of, of what type of student a specific college would be looking for, maybe academically or, or outside interests, or even, you know, I guess that as athletics can fall in there as well. Yeah, so let's just take your average student, because uh, that athletic piece is kind of a, it's its own separate sure. path, yeah. right? But, yeah. um, let's just take an average student. One of the things that parents can do is understand who is the average student at this school, right? What's the average incoming GPA? Still asking what is the average incoming test score, because one of the things we know, despite COVID, a lot of schools are still leveraging the ACT and the SAT for merit scholarship dollars. And those numbers, that would be easily found out by yes. looking at a college website, right? On their websites, that's okay. right. Um, okay. Because they um, they love those numbers, right? They put yeah. them out there, it's their marketing, right. it's their advertising. So understanding who the average student is and then looking for schools where your students' numbers are slightly above that means that you're gonna get slightly more than the average student gets at that school. Now, one of the things that's tricky is the colleges will publish like their, um, their average cost, like the average student who comes to our school pays X. The challenge with that number is it almost always includes both need and merit. So um, if you are not going to be a need recipient at that school, then um, you're not going to get some of that money. So it's more helpful if families poke at schools a little bit harder. This would have to be a conversation with admissions or financial aid to get in there and understand what percentage of students get merit scholarship mm -hmm. dollars? And what is the average merit award amount at this school? And then you can start to compare your student. And the one thing I want to throw out is people should not presume that because you're leaving the state, that automatically makes things more expensive. It often does not. That's an actual area of scholarship dollars that most people are not even aware of. Wow. Okay. Yeah. See, and that that's a myth right there. Cause you would, you know, you automatically think stay in state um, and, and you'll save money with that in-state tuition and everything, but you're saying that's, that's not the case, huh? That's right. Uh, and uh, believe me, I know I was the queen of like, you guys are saying in the state of Minnesota and going to state schools, right? That's what I told my kids. And then I came to find out at the end of the day, if you just even look at my kids, I had the same financial goal for all three students. It was state pricing at our local flagship university. I didn't care what they went, where they went after that, but the goal was I'm not paying more. I live in Minnesota. I'm not paying more than the University of Minnesota. One of my kids went to University of Minnesota. One of mine went to a private school and one went to an out-of-state state school. The most expensive school on the list, University of Minnesota. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. So, hey, I wanted to go back though. Uh, you were saying that the, the biggest factor in the FAFSA for, for need is parents' income. Is there any way, are there general rules or are there tables? Maybe you could look at if a parent's combined income is X, then they could, you know, uh, be expected to contribute X amount. And, and maybe even at a point, if a parent makes X amount of money, there's really no chance of any needs-based um, financial aid because they just make too much. Yeah, so in general, and this is a really broad categorization based on income, but um, in general, if your household adjusted gross income is over 280000 
you will not qualify for need-based aid at, at any school in the country. Now, okay. one of the things that people just need to keep in mind is often the question is not, or the question I prefer people ask is not, do we qualify for need-based aid, but rather after need-based aid has been applied, are we interested in paying that price for this college? Because you could, for instance, be looking at a school, um, let's take uh, NYU. NYU is a non-merit school, so it doesn't matter how smart your kids are, it doesn't matter all the cool things they did in high school, right, the podcast they started. Um, there's no scholarship dollars available for all those cool things. Those are the table stakes for getting in. Um, however, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to round their number out. Let's call it 84000 a year to go to NYU. Let's say you uh, come across with $2,000 worth of need. And NYU says, yes, we will cover your $2,000 of sure. need. Congratulations, now you're paying $82,000 at NYU. The question really is not, did I get need-based aid? The question is, am I interested in paying whatever the college is going to cost after needs been applied? And housing in New York City, which is not really cheap either. <laughs> right, right. Well, keep in mind the cost of attendance includes housing. Okay. But, uh, yes. Okay. But at some point, you're probably moving out of the dorms. And so mm -hmm. uh, for sure, you have to include that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And those are those are things. I mean, do, do you feel, and I guess it's an overly broad question, but are the quote more expensive names on diplomas often worth the 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 significant more cost that they may incur or is it better to you know i don't i don't know what the number would be but pay half the tuition for a little bit less prestigious of a diploma but graduate with no debt as opposed to you know paying double somewhere or is that just a tough one that you have to weigh yeah i would say um it is very value based um, in terms of how the family thinks about this, right? Because um, just like I could buy a hunk of junk and drive across town, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I might be totally fine with that. Someone else might think like, no, I want the consistency of an Audi or I want the consistency of a Mercedes Benz. You know, there are good ways to think about both directions. I think as a family though, you have to have a conversation around what do we value? And you have to understand in college land, like in many industries, big brands bring big costs as well. Uh -huh. And so you just have to have that conversation as a family to say, what do we think an undergraduate degree should cost in our family? What are we comfortable paying? Because everybody's in a different place there. Um, and I never wanna presume um, that people always wanna pay less Sometimes where you go matters, right? If your whole family um, is, you know, went to Auburn, right. you probably want your kid to go to Auburn, right? right. So um, you have to think about it. I think there's there's more in the mix than just the cost. Yep. No, that that makes um that makes a lot of sense. And it's just it's such a big decision, and it can be it can be a decision, like you said, that goes down from from different generations. Everybody in my family went to that school, or it could be, hey, you're the first one going to college, and just right. you know, clawing and scratching your way through that four year degree, and and hopefully not borrowing too much money, but but making it through might be might be the goal as well. So it it is a very interesting uh, time of life uh, uh, for sure. So. It, I mean, are there any major changes coming to the FAFSA and, and tell us a little bit about if there are kind of what they'll in, incur and, and hopefully it involves um, a lot more 
money for um, uh, freshmen that are in high school right now? Because that's what my kids are. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so let's talk about this. Um, in December 2020, the pandemic relief bill that was passed included 157 pages of FAFSA changes. Um, the first time we've seen notable FAFSA changes in probably 20 years. Um, I'm sad to say uh, that a lot of the changes do not benefit um, like middle and upper middle income families. Um, there are some um, significant changes coming for folks. For instance, um, they uh, raised the income level at which you would qualify for um, the Pell Grant, for instance. Um, so more families are gonna qualify for the Pell Grant. Today, you have to be pretty destitute <laughs> to, to qualify for the Pell Grant. So that was a big- Is there a general thing. rule on family income for qualifying for some Pell Grant or is that not, there's not really a, a general uh, rule on that one? Yes, there is. There's an exact number. I apologize, I don't have it on the top of my head. I wanna say it's like 40,000, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, I think that's the number it's going to. Okay. Um, there's also, for the first time ever, the FAFSA is going to be allowed to go negative. It's being allowed to go uh, $1,500 negative. Um, previously, your expected family contribution, which is the output of the FAFSA, was only allowed to get to zero, which means that some families will actually qualify for need-based aid to help them pay for things like um, housing or food or books or some of the fees that go along with college. Um, so those are some of the positive changes coming at the federal level. Um, the FAFSA though, some of the formula changes that are coming, the first time we will see these pop up is in the fall of 2023 for the um, FAFSA 2024. So it'll be the financial aid packages for the school year 2024, 2025. Um, that FAFSA will have significant impact um, to families who have multiple kids in college today. If you have two kids in college at the same time, you fill out two separate FAFSAs. Um, and uh, your expected family contribution actually gets divided amongst the two students. So if you filled it out when you just had one kid in college, um, and let's say you fill it out and the expected family contribution was 50,000. And then next year, you have two kids going to college they'll take that 50,000 and they'll actually split it between your two kids, right? So each kid will have an expected family contribution of roughly the same thing, 25 and 25. What that means is families often qualify for need-based aid when they have two kids in college who did not necessarily qualify in year one when they just had one student. Well, um, that splitting of the expected family contribution is going away in the new FAFSA. So if you fill out your FAFSA with one kid in college and the result is we have a, um, it's now gonna be called the student aid index. That's one of the changes coming. The output of the FAFSA, that student aid index, you fill it out $50,000. When you have two kids in college and you fill out two FAFSAs, one for each, each student will have a student aid index of $50,000. So families who would have qualified for need-based aid with two kids in college, will not qualify often with the new rules in place. Well, as a parent of twins, I would ask that you ask them to change that rule um, in the next few <laughs> know, years, right? please. Yeah, and here's where, uh, I'm not kidding, uh, write your representatives, right? The people that represent you in Congress, um, get on the horn and let them know, I'm not happy about this. Um, I think um, I think they, 
it just wasn't well understood how the FAFSA gets used and its impact on families. So I, I think they were thinking at the federal level, right? We really want need-based aid to be going to need-based families, but they weren't thinking about what happens at the collegiate level. So uh, that's a great, um, you know, shout out to whoever represents you for sure. Because the thing is, this was legislated. To get it changed, it's gonna have to be legislated. Right. And if you're paying attention at all, you know that there isn't a lot happening in Washington, D.C. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that the biggest uh, upcoming change on in, in, in the program? The the unfortunate uh, not 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 uh, dividing up the uh, expected parental contribution? Yeah. So there are a couple other big changes. Um, one, uh, this is actually a positive change uh, today. If grandma and grandpa try and help their their grand student pay for college, it actually can negatively impact the student because the student has to claim that that money as income and then be assessed at that 50% rate. Um, so uh, starting this year, actually, January 1 of this year, grandma and grandpa can now send money off to college on behalf of the student with no impact to the student. So grandmas and grandpas, aunties, uncles, godparents, guy next door that really loves your kid can feel free to contribute um, at any point in time and not negatively impact the student. Um, another major area of change that we saw is the way that you determine which parent in a divorce scenario fills out the FAFSA. Today, it's determined by where the student lives. So wherever the student lives, 51% of the time is the parent that fills out the FAFSA. On the new FAFSA form, that 2024 FAFSA, um, the um, way you'll determine that is whichever parent has 51% of financial support of the student. The challenge there is they did not define financial support. So we don't really know what that means. We're waiting to hear how they're gonna define that, right? What falls into the category of financial support. Another big change for people who own their own businesses, um, the definition for small business is going away. So um, today, if you have a, a business and you um, employ fewer than 100 um, people, um, you don't have to put your assets on the, on the FAFSA formula. Well, that definition disappears. And so all small business owners will need to include assets. What we don't know is what do they mean by assets? What are the assets you'll need to include? That was also not defined. Okay. So, you know, a business that does a couple million dollars per year that, you know, may have a year's worth of operating expenses in, in the business checking account, right? you know, that's significant money that, that, and that may have an impact on if the owner distributes that to, you know, to his or herself, as opposed to leave it inside of the business during, during, during those, those college years. So, yeah, that's right. Also um, think about farmers, right. Who, mm -hmm. where their, their total income often not high, but their assets often giant, right. So sure. if you have to put right. value of land down, right. if you have to include capital expenses like tractors and other equipment um, that will have significant impact. So more to come there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's definitely worth some, some, some guidance will, uh, will be needed. So, well, this is interesting and this is exciting. Um, one of the things I always talk about on the podcast is 
we don't know what we don't know as individuals. And that, that, that's maybe sometimes as individuals, we're not sure where to invest our money. Um, you know, certainly we all need legal help for legal issues and, and accounting help and business coaches. And, and, and honestly, you know, for, for, for a decision that's as important as choosing the right college, um, um, help finding some, some, some college aid and, and things like that. I mean, I think working with a professional is, is a great idea as well. So, so tell us again, where, um, any listener can, can find your company and just give kind of another, like a, a brief, uh, uh, you know, college inside track, uh, one-on-one on, on, on some of the things that you do for your clients and how you work with them, whether it's virtually, whether it's in person and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, for sure. So um, when we work with families, we do take them through the entirety of the college search application and acceptance process. So helping kids make decisions about high school course selection, the testing strategy, how many times to take it, should I prep, how much should I invest in test prep, um, how do I volunteer, what do I need to capture in those opportunities that I can use on my um, applications later, um, and then list building, of course, helping kids figure out which schools in the country fit them. Um, we also then help with the essay and application process um, through their financial aid process, timing with the student, helping them understand pacing and prioritizing what to work on, when to work on it. As they get their acceptances, um, then actually helping them deep dive at schools, backgrounds of professors, output of programs, um, those kinds of things so they can make some good decisions. And then as they get their financial award packages back, looking for opportunities to potentially appeal those um, uh, because sometimes you can negotiate with schools. And um, then as the student heads off to college, we do stick around through their undergrad time frame. We just want to make sure families know they have somebody in their back pocket if they need us again. So very one-on-one -on -one work that we do individually with students. Uh, they work with a consultant on our team. Um, we work with families all over the country. In fact, we have some families out in the world, other places even, who are planning to send their kids uh, to the US to go to school. Um, and uh, in general, uh, what I would recommend is if people are listening and they want to understand better, how do we, given who my student is, do a better college search, they can certainly take advantage, David, of our family consultation. Um, I sit down with families for an hour, no charge. We chat about your student, their background, what do they want. I give some strategies that you can use based on your own particular scenarios. And if people want to connect um, to do that, they can certainly find me on our website at collegeinsidetrack.com. Right on the homepage, there's a get free advice button. If you click on that, it takes you out to my calendar and you can schedule your meeting. Perfect. So everybody who's, who, who may uh, have a, uh, an upcoming college student, check out collegeinsidetrack.com. Uh, if it feels like something you'd like to do, schedule a consultation. There's no strings attached. And if you wanted to move forward, you do. But if not, I'm sure you would get plenty of value just from an hour or so sure. uh, phone or Zoom call with, uh, with, with one of the consultants. So that's awesome. So I'm not sure if uh, the first time we had you on the podcast, if I asked you my closing question, but, but we are the Weekly Wealth Podcast, and uh, we do talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that help you to build and maintain wealth. So I would like to know, Cozy Whitman, what is your definition of wealth? Definition oh, boy. Of wealth. Uh, this See? is... 
Yeah. <laughs> um, here's what I would say. Uh, since we have five kids, um, my definition of wealth is to be able to um, do whatever we want to do together as a family and not have to think about like I would like to be able to allow all of my kids the opportunity um, to go on vacation with us together so we can spend quality, fun family time together. Perfect. I love it. And, you know, so it's freedom and, you know, but freedom costs money. I mean, you know, the, that family vacation wouldn't, wouldn't be free. So there's, there's an actual dollars component of it, but it's kind of what the dollars do that, that makes it really, really important. Perfect. Well, that about wraps up this episode. So I appreciate your time, Cozy. And um, again, anybody who wants to check out the program, go to www.collegeinsidetrack.com. And until next time, we wish everybody a blessed week. Thank you. Thank you, David.